0: This is the American Toffee Podcast, your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club, hosted by Alex Johnson and James Boyman.
1: Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James here, joined by Ryan to discuss, well, a lot of things. First, we're going to talk about the fallout from the Merseyside Derby. It has been five days since the match, and the debate has been raging furiously. We're going to walk through some of the rules, some of the hot takes coming from the world of British football media. And we're going to talk about some of our interpretations and how we can perhaps be better and rise above all of the noise as fans. We will then take a short break and get into the Southampton preview. Let's kick things off here, Ryan. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing great, man. I I know our listeners may be a little surprised that we're doing a midweek episode uh, without a guest and without a match. But I mean, my Lord, the takes last several days have just been... Kind of crazy. And I, I do think, you know, when there's an American spin to be had on some of this stuff and give our perspective, I think it makes good for for good, good talking and good listening. And I hope the listeners enjoy it. But yeah, I'm doing fine. But I, I just I had to admit, James, I mean, this this is it's it's a little bit of a microcosm of the way the media is functioning right now. But um, I guess we'll, we'll get into it. I think some of those points are the most important ones. And we're going to try not be too high and mighty here. But uh, but you know, we We've always committed a long time ago to be to be a podcast where we express genuinely our opinions on things and, and try and be an open and honest. We're not ever trying to fuel the flames of controversy or anything crazy like that. So I, I thought and I think we both agreed the best way to start this thing is to talk about the FA review on the Jordan Pickford ep- episode incident, because I think that's probably the biggest talking point. Um and it kind of lays the baseline for for everything, um, James. As you know, uh, Jordan's not going to face any retrospective action. Uh, the breaking news several days ago came out. Uh, first of all, were you surprised about that?
1: No, I wasn't. I really wasn't because, again, it, it went to VAR during the match. They determined that it was offside, therefore not a penalty. And you know, part of me was was thinking in the back of my mind, well. It is Everton, after all. We're not totally out of those woods just yet. So we've had precedent set before. We've had our manager receive a red card when that had not yet been done. We had a player-based yeah. retrospective action for diving. Mm-hmm. And so given the, the level of vitriol following the match on on Saturday, it would not have surprised me for, for something to... For, for the FA or for the, the PGMOL to go back and, and review the decision and determine that that it was in fact a red card and that Jordan Pickford should be suspended. However, I will say it is nice to finally get the rub of the green a little bit and and actually see <clears throat> the laws that are part of the game be enforced and enforced correctly in this case, at least in my opinion. But you're right, Ryan, just to quickly touch on your earlier point. Uh, I think there has been a lot of, of hot takes going around the internet, but I think both you and I are fairly level-headed and reasonable guys. And so... We're not going to uh, go to either extreme too much in in our analysis of this event.
0: Yeah, and so what I like best about their statement was that, well, first of all, you you made the right point. If if it's not a penalty, I mean, it just can't be. You know, the it it was offside, so there's no foul in the box. Uh, It's certainly not violent conduct if he was going for the ball. So that's another thing. I I I would recommend anyone. If they're going to opine on the interpretation of a rule, go read the rules. If he's going for the ball, it's not a red. I mean, that's clear as day in there. So the, so the question remains about serious foul play. Now, if it's just reckless, it's just a yellow. That's It's written in the rules four or five different times. And I, I think that's my interpretation of what the statement said. They said, look, the referee went to it. He looked at it. It was reviewed for a red card as well. They made an assessment and subjectively at that time and place, they decided that since you can't give a yellow out of a review that it it was just reckless. I mean, that could be the only decision in essence that was me that you back into. I I do say this. We're pretty critical of referees at times. They have a very tough job and I think we're making it more difficult in this particular circumstance because it is truly subjective. Now, this is what they're dealing with when I review the rules. I think this is also worth in consideration. So let me read to you what I'm reading from the rules, part of the defense and the definition of reckless, and then compare it to what serious foul play requires. So reckless is when a player acts with disregard to the danger to or consequences for an opponent and must be cautioned. Here's serious foul play, which, which is ascending off. Any player who lunges at an opponent in challenging for the ball from the front, from the side, or from behind using one or both legs with excessive force or endangers the safety of an opponent. So let's try and wrap our heads around that. So a player acts with disregard to the danger of an opponent is just a yellow, but if they endanger the actual safety of an opponent it's a red and let's be honest, every tackle in danger is the safety of an opponent. It's a tackle. I mean, by definition. So I I guess it's supposed to be a tackle that's above and beyond a, a normal tackle. Look, the point is it's subjective. You had people and and granted Andy is a, is a proud Evertonian and and was key in our teams in the mid eighties. Um, he defended it. He, he thought it was not a routine play. Everyone agrees. It's reckless. We all know that. Um, even Jamie character said, look, this stuff happens. And no one believes Jordan Pickford did it intentionally. I think no one, no Evertonian believes that. We've seen him. You know, he acts recklessly and out of control at times. But and of course, Graham Soonis, you know, was suddenly magically concerned about player safety. That was not ironic at all. Watching
1: his pearls. I mean, come on. Oh,
0: I know. And Jamie totally called him out for it. So God bless him to say, come on. Do you remember the tackles you made? That was a great exchange, by the way. But um, I, I think the best analysis and and speaking for James a little bit. That we found out there, and a lot of people agreed, was Rob Green's, you know, ex-goalkeeper, the kind of video analysis he did on Sky Sports, where he walks through Pickford kind of looking at the ball, sees the ball, suddenly realizes Van Dyke is is closer to him maybe than he realized. You know, he comes out in the starfish pose. And again, I admittedly, I, I know a bit about this game, I hope, at this point, but not necessarily about the goalkeeper position. It's a very specific position. That's why I'd love to hear what Rob said kind of comes out realizes he's in trouble but comes out big and then you know collides with Van Dyke now the the one point I will still make though is if you watch it his head goes back to the ball and I think the only reason why he kicked out with his left foot is because he saw the ball to his left now you made a great point off the pod about different camera angles and those matter right yeah, exactly. So when, when I watched it on the broadcast,
1: it seemed like most of the replays they showed were kind of like from behind the goal, from behind Jordan Pickford. And you can't really see the path of the ball as it's coming out of the air. And from that angle, it really does look like Jordan just kind of... And you, you also can't see Pickford's eyes. Yeah, and so good you're, point. So you're watching him and it does look like he just goes in. It, it's still kind of clear that he's making a play on the ball, but maybe not as obvious as when you see it from behind Van Dyke or from the where the linesman would have seen it from, for example. And you can see he watches it and he's watching the, the trajectory of the ball. And it was a really high lobbed cross. And Pickford, as, as Rob Green said it in his analysis, doesn't see Van Dyke until it's basically. And he was late on it, too. He reacted yeah. late, too. And Rob said that, too. And he's right. He, he hesitated. Exactly. And so that moment when he sees Van Dyke, I mean, you know what Pickford's thinking? He's like, oh, bleep. Uh, I, I need to make myself big, make a play on the ball. And again, he lunges and unfortunately Van Dyke's, you know, he ends up like scissor kicking his legs out. But again, you're, when you're going back to the rules, you talk here. It is a very fine line between reckless and serious foul play. And of course the referee is, is their job to be the judge on the pitch and they have to make that distinction. But when you're talking about judging, whether a player acts with disregard to the danger versus acts with excessive force or endangering, it's it's fine margins, and, and I think a, a referee knows that he's going in to make a play on the ball. I, I don't think that that's a situation where Pickford's like, I'm going to clean him out because obviously that's a stonewall pen 100 times out of 100. He's not just going to try to clean him out for the sake of it so that he can give away a PK. That makes no sense. Um, but but what I do think is what what's interesting exactly. and, and has really fueled the narrative more than anything else is just the fact that, the, the nature of the injury to Van Dyke he's he's done his ACL the reports coming out today are that it perhaps is more serious than even just the ACL there may be more damage to the knee that's that's speculative that has not been confirmed by the club but if if Virgil Van Dyke gets up and walks shakes that off and, and is back on the pitch we're not even talking about this at all you may say Pickford should have had a red it may be it may have ended up being uh, a, a big point in the match maybe a talking point. Um, what I'm curious, and, and I we didn't talk about this at all pre episode, Ryan, but I'm wondering if you think that the point in the match at which the foul occurred played any role whatsoever into the referee's decision making? Because I know that it, it shouldn't, but you also kind of have this this feeling like uh, it's a big derby, and you know that the referee usually isn't looking to to throw out reds in the first ten minutes of a match because obviously that is such a massive massive disadvantage to the opposition and particularly when it's the keeper i mean we go down to 10 men without a keeper and, and that's pretty much ball game within the first 10 minutes so i'm curious if you think that that had any role to play whatsoever
0: i thought it immediately i did actually because i'm thinking oh there's no way this is right you can't help but think that there's no way this is red we're down one nil we're not looking good and i think it's part of it is not the referee's job, but subconsciously it has to be. your goal is really to make the competition fair. I, right. I think, you know, no one wants to notice the ref. We want to notice the players for heaven's sakes. and and Michael Oliver, I think, is relatively understated as a ref. And I think he's he's one of the better ones, truly. But yeah, I think it really comes down to, I, I think that could be a factor, but but really, what it comes down to, and Paul said it on our Discord server, He's a great member, Pull, pulls very active, says all sorts of interesting yes. things. He, he put it very succinctly. It's really only in consideration for a red because of the injury, which isn't how it works. And whether you believe that or not, I'm still not sure if I think it's a red or not. Uh, I have to admit, if you believe he was going for the ball with his foot and that was his reaction, I, I don't know, kind of think it might be a, a yellow. But I can see the case for red, too. Either way, it is entirely subjective. But yeah, if he doesn't get hurt, no one's even talking about it. You know, and and you can't do that. Like you can't we're gonna get into a hot take right now, which I think is a good embodiment of that, if we will., um, and that's a discussion of the suspension duration and and what the what the ramification should be. and this is all because of the injury. So we've seen in the NHL in particular, when they announce suspensions after the fact and whatnot, they tend to cite the injury to the opponent as being a factor. Now, I personally hate that because I don't think that makes any sense whatsoever. You know, I can sneeze on someone, they could be distracted. And fall and twist their ankle, you know what I'm saying? I I just don't think that's fair. So sure enough, we have ESPN FC, and thank thank goodness for Gabriel Marcotti because he is about the only sane person I think in that entire cast. Lawrence Julian decides to come out and give this take. This is exactly what we're talking about: hot stakes from the hot takes from the media, fanning the flames of controversy for hits. I mean, I don't know how sincere this is, but his quote was: Jordan Pickford should be banned for as long as Virgil Van Dyke is out injured. I mean, what do you you say to that? How do you, what, what, this has been proposed before. I mean, I feel like hundreds of years ago in in American sports, but I mean, just play that out in your head for two minutes. Uh, It's so Dennis Irwin, when he destroyed David boost, I don't know if you remember that incident. Ironically, we'll get into Keith Hackett in a bit. He was, he was the head ref with Dennis Irwin. They had that huge (laughs) Arsenal man, U brawl. That's another story. So he's out. For his whole career, so does Dennis Irwin never play again? Right.
1: It, it's such an outrageous take that it genuinely makes you. And, and it's one thing; it's fine. Okay, you've got copites that are that are shouting for that and saying that, and you can sort of rationalize that. And like, they're upset; it's very emotional.
0: Yeah, and I understand being upset. No one wanted to see a great player like that get hurt. I mean, truly, we don't. That would be that would be a shame if truly anyone felt that way.
1: Right. And and I think I, I think people like to make jokes, but I really don't think that there's anyone. I'd like to think that there aren't too many people, I should rephrase that, that are celebrating this injury. I hope they're a very, very small, albeit vocal minority. But it really makes you question if these journalists, professionals who have covered and participated in the professional game for some for decades, are engaging in this type of conversation in good faith or if they are just trying to create controversy and drum up clicks for themselves. And I, I hate to say that.
0: No, I, I agree. And, and I mean, you, you have, you know, we brought up off to the pod and I was going to bring it up in this conversation, but I think it's relevant, you know, talk sport always, you know, for the fans always have the fans on giving their takes. This isn't some fan giving some incessant, crazy rant take, you know, this isn't Arsenal TV, which I think is, I, I don't know if uh, we talked about the Simon Jordan interaction with the head of Arsenal TV and, and, Simon Jordan didn't make his point all that well, even though he's fairly eloquent. His point was that you're getting these fans. You're blaming it on the fans to create all this controversy, but that's what you're doing. You're fanning the flames of controversy, and that's what gets you hits. And we've seen that in the media in America. I, I, it, too much recently from a political standpoint. But this one is so disingenuous. This isn't even fans saying it. I mean, are you kidding me? Is this the first time we've had an injury to someone? Like, didn't Virgil van Dyke hurt Jerry De La Feil last year? What about Ben? Me almost destroyed Wesley. I mean, I, I just, it's the, seriously, the suggestion is that we now employ our 25th member of the team, some complete stiff who will magically bump into Sadio Mane and go down and feign injury that he's out for the rest of his life. I mean, this is the stupidest con. So I just don't know if these people are not, I, I think it's disingenuous. I think it's dumb or, or literally this guy may be that dumb. I hope to your God. That's not the case.
1: I do think there's a little bit, I, I, I think, well, there's a few factors at play a yes we're everton we are the perennial underdog we never are certainly not media darlings that's not a phrase you'd ever definitely use in association with everton liverpool quite the opposite furthermore van dyke you know ballon d'Or candidate arguably should have won it last season talking about one of the top five maybe players in the world and so that obviously generates a certain amount of scrutiny. And then you have Liverpool defending champions and all this. And the player who you could argue is perhaps the most transformative player in that entire side when he came in, what he did for their team is out. No question. No so question. It, it it makes the spotlight so, so bright on the moment. And you're right. Leroy Sané, Ben Mee, Virgil van Dyke on Kyung Min Son on Gomez. He right. had his red card overturned. So Is Son what are okay? we checked on him since? I mean, it's because he cried form. because he cried. We're going to say that, you know, I, I mean, again, you can't take the result of the action as a, as evidence that
0: there was any kind of intent or anything like that. Like if you use the precedent, with Son, right. And then what happens? I mean, that, that that's, I think like the biggest aspect of this, because so, so sure enough, you start fanning the flames of controversy. You've already taken a situation where people are, unfortunately immature about this and heated and and there's some younger fans too and anyone can get on social media now but sure enough we've got a report from you know the BBC Radio Merseyside Merseyside police are investigating a number of offensive tweets made in relation to two Everton players after the derby Jeez, oh, i wonder who that could be and and that, and that is partially the responsibility of the media fanning those flames don't get me wrong liverpool doesn't seem to ha- lack that element in their fan base but it, and it's just totally illogical stuff. Now, now, granted, I, I will give slight credit to Chico Asul's feedback on that one. <laughs> Have they ruled out Chelsea fans yet? I mean, that's that's some good stuff right there. Um, but you it's know, th- fantastic. This, it's great. I mean, it, the guy's an artist. But we've talked about this a lot with Tony Sampson. You know, I, I know a lot of proper scowls and uh, diehard Evertonians <laughs> out there in, in Liverpool show some concern about tourism, international fans. And, and while they've always been incredibly welcoming to me, I, I think your experience was has been the same. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think what's important and what rallies us around Everton, it is the people's club. And I think it does a lot in the community. And I think for the most part, the ethos of the club is one where we take care of each other. And I think it should be self-policing. I, I think if you see anything out there in social media, we, we bear responsibility to, to say to that person, hey, man, that's this is just a game we have some ethics and some values here. Let's try and preserve these, please. It's just not okay to make offensive tweets, posting images with guns or telling them you'll find them out in town or something. I mean, what is going on here? That's just, and I think another thing that's really important. And so obviously we, we bear some responsibility, I think, on the podcast, and Tony feels like we do too. And we, we agree to that responsibility to. Try and articulate as best we can what we've learned about the ethos of the club, and we continue to do that. But I think there's another aspect here about the importance of mental health. And I, I think, for full disclosure, James is the one who is commandeering the account and made this tweet. I, I think this is important, your message, and, and I definitely want you to – I know you're going to read it on air. Yeah. I think that's a really important feedback and something we all should be cognizant of.
1: Yeah. and so So here's the tweet, folks. I said – Football fans love to wax lyrical about the importance of mental health anytime a player speaks publicly about their personal struggles until one thing goes against their club in its death threats, slander slash libel, accusations being thrown left and right. Let's all be better. And, and, you know, last season, or it may have been earlier this season, we had players like Michael Keane and Gilfie Sigurdsson speak to the club or to media outlets about their struggles with, and that was related Bernard, to- Bernard, to too, Yes, exactly. Poor performances on the pitch. And that's just general, you know, blowback from from fans saying, you know, you suck. You're bad. don't want to ever see you in a blue shirt again. This and I think as a professional footballer, you do in some ways have to anticipate and, and not necessarily accept. But it's something you have to deal with inevitably as part of your your job. You're a millionaire paid to play a game and you're under a huge spotlight and people are everyone wants to have an opinion about it that said death threats being sent to jordan pickford death threats being sent to his wife i mean we're talking about a a game it's a game and we are all irrationally passionate about that game but it's not life and death and it's not something where you want to make someone's spouse feel like she is in danger even if she even if they're it doesn't matter if you're joking it's not a joke it's not funny it's stupid saying something like that to disrupt their their day-to-day life and make them feel worse about themselves what does that what type of gratification does that bring you as a person what type of person are you to feel like you need to say that to somebody else as an outlet because of your own frustrations with again a game it's a freaking game so let's try to put things in perspective
0: yeah and and the last thing we want to be is the whole Look, and if your player does stuff like this, you need to hold them accountable as well in a fair way. The last thing we want to be is, you know, the motto, ashamed of nothing, offended by everything. That is not us. So when you see this garbage out there, we should call it out. We're going to get to that in a second, too. But so the other hot take that I thought, again, was incredibly irresponsible comes from Keith Hackett. Keith Hackett, pardon me, former referee, uh, former head, I think, of the referees for, God, like six or seven years. His quote, in a response to a fan shall go unnamed, his comment was, it would be interesting to know how you would feel if your son was playing grassroots football and the opposition keeper who openly hates your son's team assaulted your son with a similar tackle causing serious injury to him. Would you say stuff just happens? It's only football. So (laughs) there's a lot to unbake in that. So Keith's response, the responsible adult he is, you make a point, and that is why the administrators have let the game down by not rectifying the officials' glaring error. Liverpool should now sue Pickford. Okay, <laughs> this, is, this is irresponsible. I, 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 how can a professional do this? Number one, this is not the first time a tackle has ever been made, and this is not the first time that a subjective call, entirely subjective, that was reviewed by the PGOL. That everyone said, look, I'm not reviewing it again. It was subjective. They made their call at the time. It's up to them. You're claiming, what is this legal basis on? Is this nuts? And here's another thing, man. You know, I'm a little older. I have a son and a daughter. My son doesn't, he plays travel stuff and he plays soccer. My son's playing grassroots. I try and be a mature adult. But what in God's green earth does this have to do? Grassroots football have to do with two professionals playing a game at the highest level. We know what is going on here. These people are perfectly capable when they step on the pitch. They know what they're getting into. They know how things happen. I I just, I mean, think about suing a player from the opposing team for what? One that wasn't even called a foul. Are you nuts? Uh, Was Andre Gomes going to sue Son who actually got sent off for it? Are you What are we suing for? Because the officials got it wrong? In his opinion. In his subjective opinion. So we should actually be suing the officials. We should be suing the, the rule makers, whoever wrote the laws in the way they did to make them difficult to interpret. I mean, this is just absolute madness. I cannot believe someone here feels that this is a responsible thing thing to say. And sure enough, everyone's getting fired up on it. Now you've got calls for legal action. I mean, James, this stuff, is is this not getting out of hand?
1: It's its entirely out of hand. And I'll admit, you know, the the shouts for legal action I saw on Twitter, the first time I saw it, I'm 99% sure it was. A troll account that floated it. it, And I, you know, people were commenting on it and taking it at face value. And I thought, you know, there's no way anyone could have this this genuine take again in good faith. No one would actually think that this is reasonable. And then you have Keith Hackett and others, and he wasn't the only one. Other people saying it. What in what world are these people living that you can sue a player for an action that is an expected part of the game? Yes, the injury is unexpected and unfortunate. And that wasn't the only false, false equivalency that I saw online. I saw people saying, well, if he had done it to Van Dyke in the street, then he would be arrested for assault. Oh, that's, I yeah. mean, well, yeah, come okay. on. right.
0: <laughs> I know that. It, I, dude, I play ice hockey at night. I can assure you there have been hits that I've had that would be assault out in the street. It's hockey. What do you think's going to happen? It's soccer. Tackles are going to, we literally have rules out there about endangering an opponent and that that is a violation of the rules because it happens. I mean, my God, it happens all the time or else you wouldn't need a rule against it. It's closer
1: to saying like this take that he should sue Pickford for the tackle is closer to saying a boxer should be able to sue some guy who KOs him in the ring than it is to any sort of like out in the real world action. Like it just it makes no sense. It's part of the game. The injury sucks. It's brutal. It's going to probably play a gigantic factor in how the Premier League plays out the rest of the season. Liverpool fans rightfully should be upset and frustrated, but that does not change the fact that Pickford doesn't need to have his life ruined. He doesn't need to get, certainly there's no ground. Like what do you, what, what statute are you citing to, to pursue a lawsuit in this case? <laughs> he's, he's a legal That's, program. People say Sue, like it's just this thing you can do. You actually have to have grounds. I guess you could theoretically like damages due to the lack of playing time, but I digress. It's just, it's again, these are, theoretically rational adults who want to have this conversation that is so detached from reality that it really makes you question again what what are what's going through their head to make them tweet something like that other than to again fan the flames of this controversy and attract attention to themselves
0: and it's a shame too because it's not really dealing with what is some of i think more important problems um friend of the program patty boylan i I thought wrote something I thought very insightful on Twitter. And I think it kind of falls under whether we've got a misguided focus here or not. His quote is the discussion around the game's controversial incidents is interesting. We decry genuine Albit albeit very rash attempts to win the ball, but the premeditated stuff Robertson kicking out gets brushed under the carpet is one inherently better or worse than the other. No. And I think this is actually a really important point. Was it Dermont Gallagher who just said he didn't see anything about Robertson? And I, I think the comment to whoever was facilitating the conversation said, okay, well, apparently you see nothing there. No, that is premeditated. He's getting pushed over by me and he goes down and he kicks out on him uh, entirely on purpose. And, and that's a guy that remember when he dropped the elbow on Davies head several matches ago. Uh, what about Sadio Mane yes. tripping Yeri off the play? Completely intentional. So look, their incidents, like when he booted Luca. So Lucas Dean gets kicked basically by Monty in a very aggressive, irrational fashion. It was totally bizarre. I don't know if he did that on purpose. He was certainly reckless about it, but that's not what we're talking about here. Things like diving. You have Graham Sonas making another genius comment about the Latin influence in the game about diving. Oh my God. And here you are, Jordan Henderson, who dives, you know, in international duty after someone touches him on his shoulder and draws a penalty. He flops in the box against us in this very match where he ran into Ben Godfrey's shoulder. So unless that guy's built like a chiseled rock, I'm sorry, that's not a real response. And he seemed fine to continue. I mean, if you want to really try and reconcile what's happening with ethics and, and proper behavior and set an example as adults, you want to set an example for grassroots football. How do you focus on those things? The diving is one that I don't understand. I was always under the impression, and it gets booed every time it happens, that that's something we would want to take out of the game. Because all this stuff is yeah. designed to trick the ref. And uh, I, I, it's not something in England that I thought was okay. But, but the Premier League is the one league in the world that I watch all the time that doesn't seem to give a flip. Uh, they never punish people for diving. When have you ever seen a yellow given... For someone flopping, it does happen, but very, very rarely. So, I mean, do we are just misguided here? What is going on?
1: It really is. It's so bizarre. And I agree on the, it the is. diving thing, A, because it's something that, again, you're you're looking to thwart the rules of the game and deceive the referee for your own benefit. And that is something that's, you know, what, either you're, you're making the decision, I guess, in the heat of the moment, but at the same time, it's a, it's a premeditated, in some ways, decision to do it. And again, Patty's point is a really good one. If you're tr- you you take people, just again the consequences of it all. So we talk about the the Allen on Robertson on Allen. If if Allen had torn his Achilles on that, would we see the same level of, of outcry for retrospective action against Robertson? Did we We're see out- it with Anders in the head? No, right. We and we so we know. So we we already know the answer yes. to the hypothetical you're right. question we know. that I just asked. And I it's. Just And and it's it's because it's Liverpool and they are – and I'm biased here, but I think most of the Premier League fan base and English football fan base would agree with me. They are some of the most guilty of these types of infractions, of these quote-unquote dirty plays. So for them to all of a sudden do an about-face and say, point fingers at Everton and and demand a review of these things and say that – insist the retrospective action be taken – I said it on the last step but it's so so hypocritical and I really just think a that that the referees should start taking more drastic action against these types of infringements
0: that that thwart or uh, truly endanger the rules of the game truly endanger yes danger. yeah exactly Yeah, that's, I thought, what VAR would be for. Anyway, I I know we could beat this one into the ground. There's some other news that I think we should probably touch base on very quickly before we get into the preview, because this one could go on forever. And I'm sure it will continue to go on forever in the world of social media. I mean, dear Lord, can we please play a game? Um, uh, (laughs) So so sure enough, as we predicted on the last pod, when we discussed Project Big Picture, this is again driven by our favorite team in the world, Liverpool. Um, there is more talk about Manchester United and Liverpool and perhaps up to five other Premier League teams breaking away and forming their own Euro Super League. So I, I thought this one was worth just kind of kicking off just for maybe a minute or two, because I saw a lot of complaints about their saying these are American owners and they're greedy, and they may be, but but I think people are confusing a little bit this European Super League and what it's going to be, and they're comparing it to the closed systems we see in American sports. Uh, I think it's important to explain to people that in those closed systems, especially the NFL, which is the most popular one for a reason, there's fair competition. There's revenue sharing in all sorts of aspects. So one thing you're forgetting about is I think it'd be very amusing to see a team like Tottenham go in there and try and talk to Juventus about sharing revenue equally with them. So I think just on that basis alone, the fact it's hard enough for the NFL to get all their owners together and on the same page, good luck having that happen. You can't even get the Premier League owners together to agree on anything. And frankly, I think this is bad for Premier League clubs because I tell you right now, Manchester United may be the only one that can speak to the revenues, maybe Liverpool to compete with Real Madrid and Barcelona. But right now, the Premier League clubs have a huge huge advantage across the continent. I mean, the Premier League is the most popular league in the world, at least the highest in revenue generation for a reason. Uh, And it's not just because it's English speaking. A part of that reason is competition. Look at it right now. We have a litany of teams could win it this year. This isn't the Bundesliga where every year Bayern wins it. This isn't, you know, La Liga where it's Madrid and Barcelona. I mean, occasionally maybe Atletico Madrid would do a challenge, but it's, you know what I mean? This isn't PSG winning every year in France. I I think this is not just a mistake, but I just cannot imagine these people getting together and actually coming up with compromise that will actually happen. But I don't like the idea that we're characterizing it as though this is some sort of American invention. If searching and going to find money and greed, if we really believe that truly originated in the United States of America, okay, you got us because that's all that's driving this (laughs) here. Although I just think this is frankly misguided. So No, I take a little bit of umbrage with it, and I'm not defending the American owners. I'm not saying these people are peaches either. I'm just saying think about this a little bit more. If you want to understand American sports, we're happy to talk a little bit more. I don't think everyone does, but this isn't exactly the NFL we're talking about here. This isn't even in the NBA.
1: No, it's nowhere close. If if anything, it's almost closer to like Major League Baseball or something like that. But but I do think a you know, a club like Manchester United looking to enter into this uh, type of Super League do, or any English club or any, any club, do they not realize the extent to which fans are the lifeblood of of what they do and how they function and the amount of backlash that they'd have to overcome in order to execute on a plan like this? do they care about their fans or are and, and the question inevitably or the answer to that seems to be no because you couldn't pursue something like this unless you are singularly focused on profits and making money and yes would Manchester United playing Juventus Bayern Borussia Dortmund Real Madrid week in week out generate more money yeah but the current state United are in the BPSG yesterday, but you got to think they're not finishing too, too competitively in a league like that. And they're talking, I, I haven't seen a ton of like the details of the proposal, certainly not to the extent that we reviewed the details of project big picture, but it talking about t- like a 20 year protection on relegation. I've also seen that they're proposing it as a, as an alternative to the champions league. So it would replace that there's only so many matches you can play. If, if Liverpool and United want to go do that and lead the Premier league, then I say good riddance. I think the other clubs may feel differently, but it's again, it, it is, it's almost like they released project big picture. And, and I'm sure they did honestly, because people are acting like this was like a new development. No, this is very much premeditated. They probably released project big picture, knowing that something like this was, was shor- shortly going to follow. And, then Ed Woodward comes out and says, I have no knowledge of anything like this. We're planning a, a revision to the Champions League We're starting in 2024. These people running these clubs and like, like Ed Woodward, like he's done such an amazing job at the home of United for the last few years. <laughs> well, he's spent a lot of he's money. He, he has that.
0: spent money, if if that's part he of it. has. You know?
1: And United's accounts came out today and they're not looking so, so hot, uh, but that's a topic for another day. But mm-hmm. I'm sure there will be plenty more to come on Euro Super League. Again, these are not just breaking headlines that disappear. This is part of an ongoing. I imagine some sort of PR strategy for these clubs to start to float these ideas out there, make them more commonly accepted. And eventually they're they're going to push for it at some point. It's a question of when and how hard and to what lengths they're willing to go to make this happen because they do wield a tremendous amount of leverage because they make the most money. But again, you can't get past in the Premier League. You know, you've got to get the numbers, number of votes to make things happen. And unless they do a hostile takeover of some kind or, you know, withdraw entirely, I just don't see any way that any of the the maybe uh, not quite so wealthy stakeholders in this massive money-making endeavor that is the premier league would ever agree to something
0: like this. No. And there's going to be losers in the super league too. You know, someone's, some of these big teams, someone's going to be a loser. Uh, I just, yeah, it seems very ill-advised, but anyway, moving on. I think the last point before we break is um, of news. It was brought up today that Everton is not going to talk or consider Uh, the renewal of Marcel Brands' contract until January via, I guess, club policy. I don't think there's a whole lot to talk about on this one. Uh, I've always been an advocate of his. Uh, I thought he did an amazing job at PSV, at AZ, AZ, (laughs) uh, before that, (laughs) and those were different gigs. And and I think, obviously, it helps a tremendous amount to have Carlo Ancelotti, someone that that is good at identifying what a club needs and what a team needs. And I think Carlo has made it very obvious if you've ever read his book or just thought about all the nut jobs, sporting directors that he's dealt with in the past, <laughs> nut jobs, maybe a little unfair, but, but they are, you know, very domineering and stuff. <laughs> I guess yes. if the suit fits, uh, he seems, Carlo seems very happy and seems like a good fit in the club. This is probably the first time in years he's had a, a sporting director that wants to work with him. They seem like they have a good relationship. He's obviously very much an advocate for Marcel Brands. James, do we see any possible chance that this guy doesn't get extended in January?
1: No, I, I don't. I, I think it's 0% chance. I mean, a, the fact that this is seems to be kind of standard operating procedure for the club to not renew. Uh, they're going to wait until the new year B to your point about Carlo. I think, Both he and Brands presumably are are very happy at the club. Carlo, in a recent interview, talked about a family club versus, I can't remember what, a business club or or something like that. Everton's essentially a family club. And he likes that aspect of it because you can be more yourself at at a family club. And it seems like they have a really good working relationship. Obviously, the transformation that Marcel Brands is currently overseeing as director of football, I think... Now, having been his, his third transfer summer transfer window, we can start to see exactly the direction we're headed, and, and by all indications, top of the league. Top of the league. Those are very positive, and we've got the top door manager now. There's Marcel's on the board of Everton, so at this point, I think it's 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 all but a formality that he'll sign an extension. I'd be curious. What type of length of contract that would look like? Is it just another three years? Are we looking to, to extend him longer? I also know that, you know, people have have said that Farad Moshiri is a massive, massive fan of brands. So I think he's shown the willingness to invest in the club. Why would you not invest in arguably your most important asset
0: in the entire business? The one thing I appreciate about him, whatever I, it takes, he agreed that he's he's kind of private. You know, he seems like he keeps it. He doesn't not ed woodward fanning flames and saying all sorts of stuff out there uh he seems like a pretty classy guy not too many people say bad things about him for sure um and he has in my opinion done a good job and there's some things that have happened behind the scenes that he's been key to that maybe a lot of people aren't privy to um that some of us have had been fortunate enough to get some insight on and i, I he's very well respected i mean i i know when he first came on board he was genuinely thought of as one of the top 10 sporting directors out there I don't think a lot has changed. Yes, this year has been big for him. um, And obviously, they focus a little bit more on the short term, and we're reaping the benefits of it, and and it's been enjoyable. But I have also faith that he's going to be able to steer the ship now and in the the future, and those two seem like a great combo. So long may it continue. I think that about wraps it up for all the... news bits and controversies i'm sure probably something came out in the last hour that maybe we'll tackle later um but we're going to take a little bit of break and uh, we'll get into southampton after this
1: All right, folks, welcome back to the American Toffee podcast. We are now going to get into our preview of Sunday's match against Southampton. Immediately, the concerns jump out to you. So what are Everton going to do? How are we going to line up? And I think it's looking like Seamus Coleman will be unable to feature. John Joe Kenny remains out. So that obviously provides us with a bit of a uh, shortfall at right back. I think it stands to reason, Ryan, that Ben Godfrey, who appears to be third choice cover at that position, uh, barring Mason Holgate's return from injury, will most likely get his first Everton start. How are you feeling about that?
0: Well, we have other right backs. I mean, Awobi played right back last year. What about Alex Awobi? <laughs> what about Dominic Calvert-Lewin? He played right wing back, right? He can't, no? Yeah, I, I, think he'll be, I think he'll be okay. There you go. <laughs> we could say his name though, right? He's at Barcelona. I mean, we yeah, just produce we can. great, I we produce no great coaches everywhere. No, you won't. <laughs> um, yeah, he's... He's defensive oriented, obviously he's good with the ball. He, he hopefully will do fine. They like, and we'll talk about this in a second. They like attack to attack a lot from the left. So this might work out, I think, I think just fine for us. And then obviously Richarlison's out. So I'll go back at you for that one. Do we anticipate a major change in terms of personnel or do we think we'll just get a one for one from, uh, to replace Richarlison? What do you think?
1: I, I would expect it, it stands to reason. I think that, uh, that Godfrey's going to go in right back. And then you basically have three choices for Richarlison substitute. You can play a Wobie, you can play Gordon, or you can play Bernard. It seems like Carlo. He didn't get named in the squad, Ryan. He can't play. (laughs) I know. know. Sad days for Yannick. Poor Yannick. (laughs) Poor Yannick. Still a top guy though. Really nice guy on Twitter. So
0: no problems Uh, with that. But
1: anyway, it it seems like Alex Iwobi has been pretty much first off the bench for Carlo, So it makes sense to then give him the start. I mean, he didn't have much of an opportunity to make an impact in the Derby, but we know that on that left-hand side, he can be dangerous. Maybe not as as direct as Richarlison, but certainly a player who can make things happen. If we, of course, Ryan's
0: mantra, get him the ball in the final third, he can be dangerous. I totally agree. You know I do. Um, and, and I think Southampton's an interesting team. Whoever he put out left is, is Walker Peters is a pretty good defensive right back. So I think some of the matchups are really interesting how this is going to play out. Obviously, Southampton did not start out their campaign very well, you know, losing the Palace right. and then getting beat 2-0 by Brentford. And we know they're a dangerous team, but come on. And then the Tottenham match where, I mean, they were largely outplayed. Tottenham was pretty clinical, but they're on a run now. I mean, they've won two. They, they had a last-minute draw against Chelsea, which... Maybe they kind of pulled out of their nether regions. But either way, uh, they are playing well and they're well coached. Um, I, I think well. this is going to be a tough match. I don't know if I'd say this is the hardest one we've we've had to face, but with the misses and the people that are out, it's certainly going to be a tough test. Um, what are your thoughts in general about Southampton uh, in terms of how dangerous they are and what do you think we can expect?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Austin Hodel has them playing a really attractive brand I think it took him a, a little while to settle in there was obviously that period last season when he was on the verge of of being fired and he essentially said you know you've got to give me time to to yeah. implement my style and he has them playing you know the what has become in vogue in the Premier League in the last few seasons which is a really relentless and aggressive press which they they execute quite well will make things interesting obviously going from Liverpool who like to press to Southampton who will do the largely the same and they've got some guys who are really dangerous. Obviously Danny Ings is one of the best finishers in the league. Gets himself in really dangerous areas. They've got Ward Prowse who is a very solid midfielder, dangerous from set pieces. They've got Remeu. They've got some guys in, in their front two. I mean, I don't think there's anyone that immediately scares you the same way obviously that a club like Liverpool do. But I think Nathan Redmond, Bertrand, like these guys are are quality players. They've managed to to Execute well so far they're on they're in good form. They're probably feeling very confident. So this will be coming off the back of the derby, a a real test of like Everton's mental fortitude and how they can kind of reset regroup and go back into battle.
0: Kind of like another audition against a team that's going to put some pressure on you. Yeah. Hopefully we will respond a little bit better. I think that's really one of the key aspects of, of this match. So maybe let's walk through their tactics a little bit in a little more detail because I, I know some people know them, see them, they hear pressure, they see the old German style. Uh, there are some unique aspects of what they do, though. They're they're always playing a 4 which... It's funny, there's almost been a resurgence of the 4-4-2 in some regards, definitely in La Liga. Um, this one's pretty unique, though. You're going to see Ings and probably Che Adams playing together close to each other up top. Um, they do tend to attack left. Um, I think our numbers indicate uh, their left side is over 40%. I think they attack from the left side. Um, Bertrand at left back likes to get up field. Redman kind of tucks inside a little bit more, plays in the half space. Both those guys are experienced players and dangerous the right side's a little different, and I guess Theo is not going to play. I don't know if we've totally determined that through a loan. We're assuming he won't if that's the case. And he had been playing. Uh, Armstrong's an interesting player, but he's really been tucked inside often, uh, freeing up Walker Peters to kind of go back and forth like a madman at right back. And granted, he is very combative. Lots of tackles. That's going to be an er- interesting matchup for us, uh, especially with, with Charlison out. But you mentioned Romeo and Ward Prowse. I mean, those guys are tough guys in the middle and they play compact and, and a lot of what they're trying to do is they may not press as high as some other teams but they really try and compact their defensive shape I mean the center backs it's probably going to be Vestergaard and Derek, I, I assume I think they're exploitable in center back I, I think if Ralph was building his team from scratch he probably wouldn't have those guys as his center back pairing but they play a medium high line and there's not that much distance between kind of the center forwards and the center backs and the bottom line is what you cannot do against these guys is you cannot try and plow through the middle there and lose the ball because they they have a lot of direct passing play. They don't go side to side very often. You'll almost never see them switch the ball. They're like 19th in switches in the league. They try and create offense on turnovers. And they tackle a ton. I mean, they. I think they lead the league in defensive duels. If not, I think they're second, maybe, compared to Leeds. Um, I mean, Leeds is kind of another level. <laughs> yeah, truly. But yeah, I mean, they. They. In the fact, some. You really, for some of our listeners who are into numbers. You really go look at Leeds numbers. They're absolutely insane. But yeah, I think the key is they're going to look for direct plays to Ings and Che a lot. They're going to attack some down the left. That that's not there. But I, I. What I saw when I watched kind of how they've conceded in some of their prior matches is when they turn it over, they are vulnerable. I mean, Spurs cut them apart over the top. Chelsea did the same thing. They played kind of through them a couple times, and I, I think those two center backs are exploitable. I think, in particular, Dom could have a really big game. The team, as a whole, is not great in the air. Those two guys in the back are. Obviously, Vestergaard is like 6'6", six, six at least. I mean, talk about a guy who looks like he just got off some sort of Viking craft to invade. You know what I mean? Oh, my. He should wear a <laughs> helmet. I really think so. But yeah, so, so that being said, uh, what do you think some of the key matchups are here and what do we really need to look for?
1: Well, I think it's it's obvious that no one who's watched a second of Everton this season is going to be super surprised by this, but how Southampton decide to deal with the problem that is James Rodriguez. And I think Who? it's going to be... <laughs> ever heard of him? Uh, he's got World some boot. <laughs> that's
0: right. He hasn't done he, anything since 2014. What do you talking
1: <laughs> <laughs> How Redmond and Bertrand kind of match up with him we saw liverpool try to put in a couple early challenges on him not to directly take him out of the game but to set the tone and i I imagine southampton and teams that we play throughout the rest of the season are going to do similarly additionally i'm curious to see how a player like alan who's coming off a, a solid performance and shout out to ethan for uh calling us out in the discord for not giving alan his due in our post match remarks but a player like Allen can be disruptive and, and cut off the lines to to Danny Ings and, and Shea Adams. Um, so those are kind of my key ones. Additionally, obviously, if a Woby comes in on the right, or sorry, rather the left, what's that impact going to look like? Because we know Hamez loves that long switch to Luka Dean overlapping. Is Woby going to tend to come short? Is he going to look to get in behind it changes the the calculus a little bit for Carlo because the personnel are slightly different. I imagine we'll see largely the same lineup from Everton. We already kind of talked about the two changes we're anticipating, but that, yeah, as you said, you can't really play through the Southampton midfield. And we tried to do that a couple times last season to to very little success.
0: I'm a little concerned about the idea of the Hamas big kind of switch back to the left with Kyle Walker Peters kind of as aggressive. He yeah. is. I, I don't see that being, you know, our typical recipe for success. And let's be honest, everyone and their mother should know at this point that Hamas is going to be our trigger guy. Yeah, I have to admit, I could see I could see Hamas playing deeper and not, and not in a regular formation and maybe us yes, switching it up. But but I do think what's important is and I keep saying it is we cannot come out and try and possess the ball and play methodically. I have a feeling mm-hmm. we, we thought we could do that against Liverpool, and it went awry. Now, granted, Liverpool was very sharp. They deserve credit. But in this case, I mean, when they turn over, turn the ball over, and let me t- I think Southampton is number one in the league in losing the ball. You know what I mean? Ball losses. I think they're number one. Yeah. That is where, in my opinion, they're exploitable. That's what I saw in film. The goals scored against them were not people slowing it down, possessing the ball. And they will defer some possessions, some, uh, but only kind of in your own zone. I I think we have to match their tempo. I just think Southampton, they're going to be on it. They're going to be responsive. They they know there's a challenge. We're top of the table. And look, when you're top of the table, man, you got a bullseye on you. That's how it works. So I just hope we do not. I think it is absolutely critical that we come out, match their tempo. And I think we need to do what they try and do to other people. And we have some players that can do that. I hope our our midfield does not... I hope it stays more compact. I hope we don't get too expansive again. And it'll be very interesting to see how we set up in terms of helping out Yeri Mina and and Michael Keane. So this isn't a team that we're playing against. Again, that's very reliant on aerial threats, but they do have some mobility up front and they are kind of tricky. Uh, It'll be very fascinating to see how it plays out. I just hope we go either over the top or through. I don't want to go right down the middle because Walker Peters and Ward Prowse will just... You know he'll be tucking inside. Romeo will just win it and bang. It'll be right back up us. So I think they're too disruptive for it. So I don't know. I think it'd be very interesting. Another key I think really is Jordan Pickford. I didn't yeah. see them score a lot of amazing goals. I saw some keeper mistakes and and they do generate some shots on target, but not too many shots in terms of volume. I I was very impressed at Jordan Pickford's response, which could have been such a pivotal moment for him. I mean, think about this man. If he gets sent off there. Does he play again for everton? I'm not kidding. I mean that was that was the gravity of that moment. I mean, really, so indeed. It, it'd be interesting to see what kind of character he shows in response to all the shenanigans and silliness that, that that have been happening. so real quick, what do you think? Any opinions on keys to victory? I know I've got some. I'm kind of curious to hear your take. Yeah, well, I did want to touch
1: on Jordan Pickford a little bit because I mean I think you said it really well, but his his response to everything that's gone on this week is going to be so so key he's had threats at his wife he's had i'm sure sure he's managed to stay off social media and just avoid most of the just outlandish comments which we talked about at the at the top of the show but still he seems like a player who likes to play with a chip on his shoulder but at the same time it almost can end up being like a detriment to him where he he really relishes being like disliked you know you talk about some of the matches we had against Newcastle and the fans were harassing him and he likes to give it back to him I think he just needs to to get in the zone and and focus and it sounds stupid to say that but I think it's true because it is it is a lot to overcome and yes these guys are professionals but still they are also human beings and to just sort of put all of the the noise out of your mind and focus singularly on the job you have to do and he's we know how how mistake prone he is. So you said Southampton will will exploit that look to exploit that. Can we see a Jordan Pickford response and can we see him remain level headed throughout the, the full 90 and and hopefully not cost us? And I think he's obviously capable of that. He wouldn't be where he is in the professional game today if he wasn't capable of responding to adversity. But it is a big question mark, and I think a lot of fellow Evertonians are going to have similar questions. The other thing for me is going to be if Andre Gomez does in fact start, which I don't think is necessarily a given, although I'm assuming he will, what type of response will he have? Because he was, we said it on the post-match, quite poor. We're not up against the same level of opposition, but we talk about the level of pressure. He's generally very good at retaining the ball under pressure. Can he continue to do that and find outlets that can – Move the ball maybe more effectively in Decore, in James. Um, and Dominic Calvert Lewin, again, he's on such a hot streak. Is he going to be able to keep the hot streak alive?
0: That'd be very interesting. I wonder if Jordan Pickford, I mean, imagine if you went with Olsen just because of everything wow. that's happened. I, Could it's you just imagine? A thought. I, thought? I mean, the thing is, I think Jordan would do well against these guys, truly. He doesn't have to deal with the ton of yeah. crosses. They never cross the ball, they're always kind of down the middle. He's a good kind of reactionary save guy, you know, and they, they 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 don't take that many shots. I mean, they haven't had that many opportunities. They're not that creative. Uh, they're fairly predictable and straightforward in attack. So, but again, you know, if that one moment of concentration is necessary, there's got to, I mean, he's got to be feeling the weight of the world on him right now. I, I still think, I think knowing what I said before, I think Alan and DeCorey are so critical here. DeCorey, because he can be the one that can kind of go out the right, help the wart you know the duo of bertrand and redmond and free up hammes maybe to tuck inside because i re- i really still think the key is going to be playing the ball over the top cutting through their lines through passes that and which alex awobi has definitely gotten his bag um if he can get inside even though he's dealing with some tough defensive players over there uh, i just think allen and decoré it's so important and the other thing too is if we really want to stuff their quick counter and counter back those are your guys you know, we we talked mm. about it at the beginning of the year. What are our issues? Taking the ball away. Those guys, Decor in particular, can recover. Allen can tackle. And God, it'd be nice for Andre to have a nice game where he's a little more disciplined, I think. I, I still think, though, that's it. I think it's Dom running behind those guys. I mean, I really do. I I think if we play fast and direct, we get it behind their lines when they turn it over and I think Dom can have an absolute field day against these guys. I know they're good in the air. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about exploiting his speed and his physicality. It only takes just one little good timing to get behind someone, fend him off, knock him over, and score. And and uh I, I'm bullish on Dom. I, I know he's been playing well. I really think we're gonna see another good one from him. And I think if we can get a little more creativity in playing the ball behind them from someone other than James, Um, And Alex can maybe do some damage over there and we can kind of contain that quick counter. I think we're going to be okay, but I still think we've got to match their tempo. We cannot come out thinking we can just possess the ball and control it against these guys. We've got to make this. We cannot be afraid to make this a bit of a hair flying match. That's at least my opinion. Again, score predictions, come to our discord, visit it. We have lots of conversations about it. We'll talk about in the match review. Uh, James, any, any parting shots? I'm
1: looking forward to a hopefully more level-headed affair than what transpired last Saturday. I think this is a good chance for us to regroup. We can retain our place at the top of the table. I'm expecting that the whole team will have taken some of the media response this week in stride, but also use it as fuel and motivation to improve. And And so I'm, I'm optimistic on Saturday, but without revealing my score prediction, which again, check out the Discord for that. Otherwise... Uh, Ryan, any last words?
0: I think this is going to be a good test of our just kind of fortitude in a way. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're going to see the same type of pressure again. It's going to be interesting to see what we're made of in dealing with these guys because they're not going to give us too much free space. You know what I mean? And that's important. And yeah. and so we're going to see what we're made of. I, I think we have confidence in our midfield. We have confidence. We have leaders on the pitch now. Let's see how we deliver. I think Godfrey's very interesting to see how he does. I actually think it's a decent matchup because – They're going to attack mostly down the left and I think he can maybe stuff them. I don't know. And it'd be very interesting to see how they deal with things in Che Adams. Those guys are pretty relentless. So um, it's going to be tough. I'm looking forward to it. You know, I I, boy, it'd be nice to get another three points and stay up top. It really would. Amen to that folks. I'm sure
1: everyone out there feels the exact same way. So with that, we will of course be with you following Sunday's match for our post-match review. Otherwise, uh, if you're listening on, your podcast platform of choice, please go and leave us a review, preferably five stars, but we won't uh, we won't make you do that. <laughs> Other than that, follow us on social media: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at USA Toffee Pod. Join our Discord at invite.gg/atp, and we'll be with you guys next time. Up the toffees! Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Come join our Discord community at invite.gg/atp, and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at USA Talkie Pod. You threatened to quit YouTube because I said you looked like a baby.
0: Stop (laughs) acting like the hard man. I lost it. That was so good.